podcast from Aberdeen Investment Trusts. Hello, and welcome to today's podcast on the Dunedin Income Growth Investment Trust. I'm Cherry Raynard, and with me today are the trust managers, Ben Ritchie and Rebecca McLean. We're going to be looking at the latest data on the UK economy and discussing the mood music from UK companies. So welcome, Ben. Welcome, Rebecca. Ben, if we could start with you. Um, at the start of the month, the IMF singled out the UK as, as the cloud in an otherwise quite sunny economic outlook for once. Um, has that influenced your positioning at all in recent weeks? Well, thanks very much, Cherry. It's, it's a pleasure to start the year with a discussion about Dunedin with Rebecca and yourself. So, so the short answer would be no, not really. I don't think it makes any difference at all, to be honest. So I think there's always been historically a, a fairly tenuous relationship between GDP growth and the economic performance of companies. And I don't think that particularly changes. I don't think this does much for sentiment. Um, clearly, the UK economy does have uh, some challenges. It's not alone in that. Uh, and it has had a tougher time in terms of rebounding from uh, COVID. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, we keep coming back to this thing that 70% of revenues are coming from outside of the UK uh, when it comes to uh, the FTSE All Share. Uh, and within it, you know, we're always looking for businesses who are primarily driven uh, by structural growth rather than cyclical. Now, not every company uh, can escape the, uh, the sort of uh, forces of, of, the, of the broader economy. But ultimately, we're looking for companies that, that do more than just uh, GDP. And so even those that are exposed to domestic economic trends, we think can do uh, quite a lot better. And then we've got a lot of the portfolio that doesn't have any exposure to the UK at all, uh, or certainly any exposure to uh, the sort of domestic uh, cyclical angle. So overall, while the IMF uh, judgment is not helpful for sentiment, and I'm sure does deter investors at the margins, and I think particularly international investors have been pretty wary of the UK and Europe for a number of years, uh, I think for us investing in the market, it doesn't really make much difference at all. And if anything, you know, if that continues to depress the valuation of, of UK equities, then that allows us to make better investments at better prices uh, for the longer term as well. So I think we're pretty relaxed overall. Yeah, absolutely. As you say, it's it's not like sentiment was was really sort of hot anyway. Rebecca, I mean, what's the mood music from company management teams about the outlook for the next 12 months, you know, on things like input prices or wage rises, that sort of thing? So um, we spoke to a number of management teams from UK companies recently, and I'd say that broadly um, the tone is probably that things aren't as bad as feared. Um, so I'm sort of thinking back to Q4 last year, um, you know, there certainly was concern around the UK consumer um, given higher interest rates um, and inflationary pressures. Um, but what, what we've seen from reporting from a number of companies is that um, trading remains robust. So indeed, within the consumer discretionary sector, um, we have um, had a number of reassuring updates. So the house builders, for example, are seeing sales rates pick up, and this is as mortgage rates have eased. Um, and indeed, our holding in, in Taylor Wimpy is talking about near-term near uncertainty, um, but they remain confident about the medium-term fundamentals for the business, given supply and demand dynamics and the company's strong cash position. Um, so, so they seem to be seeing an improving environment. Uh, and then maybe thinking about the retailers, 
Um, we've had a, a number of decent up updates from retailers too over the Christmas period, particularly those um, which have got low ticket items. Um, so Pets at Home, which is a holding in the Investment Trust, delivered a trading update which pointed to um, strong trading momentum and even in the discretionary parts of the of the business around um, accessories for pets, they're seeing that that business grow. So, um, yes, certainly I'd say that things are not as bad as feared um, in the UK. And then looking further afield, um, there's much more optimism around China following the removal of COVID restrictions. Uh, and we're seeing this benefit companies like Prudential, which should see a, re a recovery following the reopening of the Hong Kong China border. Um, so a, a degree of um, optimism in, in that market. So that's on the demand side. And um, when it comes to costs, I think we're also sort of seeing some positive tones in terms of some easing in the rate of inflation, most notably in energy and in freight costs. Um, labour markets do remain tight in the UK and in the US, um, but we are seeing some easing of pressure, particularly in sectors like the technology sector. Um, so I'd say that sort of broadly, um, there are pockets of weakness in a number of sectors, but we're seeing some signs of optimism. And certainly the pessimism and the market volatility, which was felt around the time of the mini budget, um, has receded. OK, thanks. And I mean, Ben, some of the sectors that Rebecca talks about there are sort of conspicuously mid-cap sectors rather than the large-cap sectors which did so well in 2022. I mean, are there any signs that that sort of balance is, is readjusting and that smaller mid-caps are bouncing back? Well, I think if you look at the sectors that did well, I, mean, it, I think it's less that the sectors themselves did well and that the economic drivers that they were exposed to were quite favourable. So. You know, 22 was a good year for commodity prices, was a good year uh, for oil and gas, was a good year for companies exposed to rising interest rates. And as a result, you know, that drove good performance from banks, uh, larger uh, financials and, and oil and mining, which, you know, as you all know, very large parts of the, of the UK market. And then I think the weakness in sterling uh, also drove better performance, again, from some of the large international companies within the marketplace, like Unilever. Diageo, pharmaceutical companies, tobacco, all of those kind of things. So in many ways, you know, last year was really a sort of perfect year for the UK versus the rest of the world. So ironically enough, if you spend too much time listening to the IMF, you don't invest at the time when actually the, the drivers are pretty favourable for, for UK PLC. But one of the things I think we've noticed over the long term is that the performance of, of UK mid caps uh, and to some extent the performance of UK small caps has actually been really rather good. So if you go back uh, to Brexit um, and track the performance of the FTSE 250, and it's actually really been, it's really been pretty strong. And you would have thought that that well, that doesn't really make sense because that should be the part that's most exposed uh, to the ne the negatives of, of, of Brexit. But but actually, the underlying performance of the companies there has uh, continued to be uh, very positive. Certainly, that took a knock with COVID. But we would think, you know, anyone taking a long term view on the UK market. Uh, would think that probably the mid-cap and smaller-cap part of it is the area where they're going to be able to find uh, the most interesting companies, the companies that are uncovered by others and that offer, by extension, uh, the most attractive returns and opportunities. And that doesn't necessarily mean the FTSE 100 versus the FTSE 250. It could be the bottom half of the, the FTSE 100 as well. But when Rebecca and I are looking at the portfolio, generally speaking, I would say the things which we're most excited about 
don't sit in the in the top half of the of the FTSE 100. You know, they're companies which might be you know somewhere between a billion and and and, and ten billion in market cap, and where we see you know attractive, uh, sustainable, long term growth both in in revenues, uh, profits, cash flows, and, and dividends, and and that doesn't tend to be uh, the mega caps within the within the uh, index, and that's why we've been overweight mid caps within Digit for for many years, and I expect that we will you know continue to to host that that type of position. And generally, when we've been adding stocks over the course of of twenty two, you know it's been into more mid cap or smaller uh, FTSE one hundred type companies like Hiscox, Oxford Instruments, uh, and Sage. And that's where we see businesses with better growth potential, better return potential versus some of those large cap mega stocks, which have done you know, pretty well in 22 and not bad in 21. Uh, but where we think the law of averages and actually the underlying economic performance of the companies sits in our favour uh, if we're looking away from that part of the market. And Rebecca, I'm zeroing in on the portfolio a little bit now. Um, I know that you have both. Volvo and Coca-Cola are some of the trust's largest holdings. I wonder if you could talk me through them and why you hold them. Certainly. So Volvo manufactures and services commercial trucks um, and construction equipment. And we see the company as being a high quality company within what is a cyclical sector with relatively limited visibility. But we're positive on um, the internal improvements that the company is making and, and what this means for the business. So, for example, it's looking to boost its services revenues. And this should be supportive for margins and returns in the future, in addition to sort of improving the resiliency of the company's profitability. So meanwhile, the company's got a strong balance sheet and we think that the company is attractively valued with the dividend yield, which is just shy of 6%. And the second company you mentioned is Coca-Cola Hellenic, which is uh, the anchor bottler for Coca-Cola in 29 countries across Europe and Africa. The company enjoys high barriers to entry given their contract with the Coca-Cola company um, and in addition, attractive growth prospects given its exposure to faster growing emerging markets where consumption per capita is below that of developed markets. So we think that the, the company's got a good outlook for growth, uh, and we think this isn't reflected in the discounted valuation, where the market's concerned about the inelasticity of demand and about the Russian assets, which it's running at arm's length. Um, so we think that the company's got attractive valuation, it's on about 13 times price to earnings multiple, and this overly discounts that resiliency in the high, uh, and the potential to grow high single digits in the future. Um, we see the company as an ESG improver. So um, the key sustainability issue facing Coca-Cola Hellenic is their sale of, of plastic bottles, which are made from virgin plastics, into countries which have limited collection systems. Um, so the company has set out targets to reduce um, its plastic content um, and, and increase recycled plastic. Um, and this is something that we're going to be monitoring and we will continue to engage with the company in order to encourage that transition. Now, Ben, there's been a pretty strong bounce back for UK dividends, but obviously if, if the economy weakens, there could be some kind of vulnerabilities in the year ahead. I mean, how are you ensuring the sustainability of dividends in the portfolio and, and what do you do if, if a company cuts? 
Yes, yeah, so it's a it's it's a good question. I think the link who publish a sort of quarterly update on their expectations for, for dividend growth are expecting sort of underlying dividend growth in in 2023 of 1.7%, so just under under two percent. Uh, we would hope the portfolio uh, in aggregate will do a, a little bit a little bit better than that, um, but we'll have to see how we how we get on over the year. Certainly on an average basis, we would expect the companies in the portfolio to do better than that. Uh, but it does depend to some extent on the, the weightings and, and, and transactions and so forth that happen during the year. But you know, we certainly think a sort of low mid single digit growth rate for the portfolio is achievable. And that's what we think is a sort of sensible uh, long term uh, goal for us. When companies cut their dividends, you know, I think it depends why that's happening. Uh, I think sometimes that can be uh, an opportunity to add more at an attractive price. And sometimes it signals something you know, rather more rather more concerning. So I don't think there is a I don't think there is a, a rule of thumb for us. And if we look at Direct Line, which we own in the portfolio, they have announced that they are going to cut their dividend in order to shore up their capital position uh, as a result of uh, what's the weather-related losses and some investment losses that they've suffered and, and arguably having run their balance sheet a little too thinly in terms of cover. Uh, you know, the prospects, I think, for Direct Line as a business, you know, it, uh, it does face some challenges. Uh, we had held it primarily uh, as a as a yielding stock to generate to generate that income, but I think we have to now look at the at the underlying investment case um, and see what happens. Whether there's uh, an opportunity to crystallise some more value around that business or not, um, and so I think when something like that happens, it's more of a it's more of a wait and see. I think the great trick most of the time is to try and avoid being in companies when they're cutting dividends because the business is suffering from uh, from major troubles. I think if it's a cyclical effort or a a one-off, perhaps a lot like some of the uh, dividend cuts that we saw during COVID, then I think you know one should be prepared to look through that. But I think if companies are cutting dividends because they can no longer sustainably generate cash flow uh, to pay those dividends, or they're, they're highly levered, um, then that's you know probably telling you something about the desirability of investing in that business. But it really does depend on your perspective and I think where you're coming from uh, on the investment case. So I wouldn't say there's a, a hard and fast rule on these things, but I think generally speaking, much better not to be in stocks before they <laughs> cut their dividends. And that said, you know, again, you know, there's a certain breed of investor who would uh, would be considering stocks once they have cut their investors as great value opportunities. So it's always a, a question of looking at the uh, underlying fundamentals. But I think overall, as we look into this year, I'd say there is a you know a note of caution. The economic backdrop is more difficult, and you're not having that big rebound effect which we saw coming through in in 22. So I think it will be a bit more of a challenging year for. For underlying earnings and underlying dividend growth, I think the market saw just under nine percent growth in 22, so we won't see that this year. Um, uh, but overall, you know, I think we still feel the portfolio can make you know, solid progress in what will probably be a, a sort of fairly, a fairly uh, choppy and challenging year ahead. Okay, thanks, Ben. And uh, with that in mind, Rebecca, I mean, have you made any changes to the portfolio over the last couple of months? There are two new holdings in the portfolio I'd like to talk through. Um, so the first is Sage, which is an accounting software business that operates in the UK and Europe and in North America. The company has undergone um, a large amount of restructuring and reshaping of its portfolio, divesting of, of lower quality, lower growth assets and investing in its cloud capabilities um, and some of its adjacencies in North America. And we feel that these changes mean that the company is in a really strong position to accelerate its top line 
um, its revenue growth. Uh, and that this isn't appreciated by the market. So the company has got a strong balance sheet. We, we uh, do rate management team um, and it's got a high degree of recurring revenue, which if we are looking to um, a degree of um, concern around the outlook and some of the more cyclical sectors, then a company like Sage should perform relatively well given its high degree of visibility um, of its revenue base. So, so that's one that we've added. Uh, we see it as a solutions company. So the company's accounting software enables small businesses to grow, um, to manage their time and manage their resources effectively. Uh, so that's how we, how we think about the sustainability performance of the business. And the second company is Hiscox. So this is a speciality insurance company that operates both in the retail market in North America and in the reinsurance market. Um, the company is benefiting from really strong pricing um, of premiums, uh, which we think should drive earnings momentum in the business. And in addition, um, the company's digital capabilities in North America means that, that the company should continue to drive market share in that market. So we think the company's in a really strong position. Um, we think the company's got a strong capital position um, and that the valuation is attractive for a turnaround and for that capital position. From an ESG perspective, we see Hiscox as an improver. So um, the company has got an important role to play in helping businesses protect themselves from the adverse impacts of climate change. And we're engaging with the company to understand how it's integrating climate change into its underwriting practices. Great. OK, thank you, Rebecca. We'll wrap up there. Um, thank you, Ben, as well, for those insights. Um, you can find out more about the trust at www www.dunedenincomegrowth.co.uk and thank you so much for tuning in. This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is provided for informational purposes only and should not be considered as an offer, investment recommendation or solicitation to deal in any of the investments or products mentioned herein and does not constitute investment research. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Aberdeen. The companies discussed in this podcast have been selected for illustrative purposes only or to demonstrate our investment management style and not as an investment recommendation or indication of their future performance. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up and investors may get back less than the amount invested. Past performance is not a guide to future returns, return projections or estimates and provide no guarantee of future results.